Next up this morning, uh, we have, once again, Pastor Mike McCord from Ray of Hope. How many of you have appreciated the words that he has sown into our hearts this week? And uh, looking forward to what he's going to share with us today. It's going to be good. Thank you, Matt. Good morning. We have a contrast of accents now. Kingsley, that was so good. How many of you are going to start looking for at least one of the 7,000s? I think I am. It's hard to bring the light to the world if we're blinded. And the Lord deals with that very many times in Scripture. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus is speaking about the Pharisees, and He says, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. And of course, blindness is the inability to see. The light doesn't come in. And I found out that sometimes men are exceptionally blind. I go to my closet, and I'm looking for a certain shirt. And I tell Carrie, I said, uh, Where, where's that shirt? It's not in my closet. She said, it's in your closet. And I said, no, it's not. I said, I've looked. She said, go back and look again. And I'll go back, and I'll look again, and I'll go through it, and I can't find it. And I said, it's not in there. She said, yes, it's in there. Go back and look again. I said, listen, it's not in there. And she'll walk into my uh, bathroom area. She'll open the closet doors, reach in, and immediately get the shirt and hand it to you like, you're just dumb. <laughs> Any men relate to that? Well, let me reverse this. Any women relate to that? I, I, I don't know why we do that. Jesus went on to say, Matthew 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Hearing you will uh, hear and not understand. Seeing you will see not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so I should heal them. You know, Helen Keller, who was blind, said there's nothing so bad as someone who has eyes and cannot see. So we're trying to bring light into darkness, and if I am dimmed, I have a hard time in bringing that light to the world that I'm trying to light up. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives a very scathing uh, comment to the Pharisees. Five times he calls them blind. Verse number 16, he says, Woe unto you blind guides. Verse 17, he said, you're fools and blind. 19, you're fools and blind. 24, you blind guides. Verse 26, you blind Pharisees. How could you and I be blinded to the reality around us or the opportunity before us or even in ourselves be a, a little, um, uh, I guess, blinded by who we are? So this morning, very quickly, I want to give you seven blinding things that I think we all have to be aware of. Because sometimes we think, I would never fall into that, that would never happen to me. And how many of you know that has been the, <laughs> that, that's been the downfall of so many people because sometimes we don't really realize that we are susceptible to things in our own lives. The first one is pride. We have to uh, be very careful that we don't fall into pride. And the more successful we become, whatever that word means, we can fall into that uh, arena where we get lifted up in ourselves. 2 Kings chapter 5, we have the story of Naaman the leper. And Naaman is going to die, obviously. He's coming to Israel to be healed, he thinks, by the prophet Elisha. And he brings a lot of money with him. And when I researched this, I was kind of shocked how much that Naaman actually brought. 
ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, ten sets of clothing, and if a talent, and this is very debatable because you hear a lot of different opinions, if a talent weighs 125 pounds, then he brought in the money of silver about 300-something thousand dollars. Then he had 6,000 pieces of gold. Let's assume just one piece of gold weighs one ounce. At uh, today's prices, he brought over $7 million worth of gold with him. So when he shows up at the door of Elisha, he has about $8 million worth of assets to give him for his healing. You say, why would he do that? Because he's going to die. How many of you know if you could pay not to die, you probably would? And that's exactly what Naaman is doing. But he thinks that because of the money and because of his position, second probably most powerful man in the land of Syria, that he's going to get that healing. Now, when it didn't happen the way he thought, his pride rose up. Because he thought, we have it in Scripture, that Elisha is going to come out, do some kind of waving ceremony, some kind of spiritual mumbo-jumbo, and, and he's going to say, oh, you're the great general of, of Syria, and let me do this, and what an honor for me to heal you. And it didn't go down quite like Naaman thought. I, I want you to just think about this. In this passage and in this story, no one talks to Naaman except servants. No one talks to Naaman except servants. It's the servant girl at his house saying, I wish you could go to Israel. There's a prophet that could probably help you. And then when he gets to the house of Elisha, the servant of Elisha comes out and visits with Naaman. And when Naaman rides away in a rage, it's his own servant that says, Master, hold on. If he had told you to go do some great thing, you would have done it. Every conversation in this passage is by servants. And sometimes we say, I am a servant of the Lord. Anybody ever said that? We love saying that and we want to be servants until somebody treats us like one. Hello. We want to be servants until somebody treats us like one and then we don't like it. But in this dialogue and in this passage, Every conversation he has that we have recorded is with a servant. And obviously, we know the rest of the story. He finally goes, he dips seven times, and he's healed. Pride is King Uzziah. King Uzziah has done very good. The Bible says he rebuilt cities, rebuilt the army. He, he re-equipped Israel. He became very powerful. But his pride led to his downfall. And most of you know how that happened. When he got lifted up, he went into the temple, and the priests are offering the incense and the sacrifices, and, and then all of a sudden, Uzziah says, let me offer it. And the priest said, now, wait a minute, King Uzziah, you're the king, you do king stuff, we're the priests, we do priest stuff. And King Uzziah took and got into a position that he shouldn't have been in. You see, we have an anointing for certain things. Have you ever noticed that every worship leader wants to be a preacher and every preacher wants to be a worship leader? I'm just kidding. That's, that's not you or me. But he, he, said, he said, I want to offer the sacrifice. So he goes in the temple, and the priests are trying to stop him, and he offers the sacrifice, and the Bible says that he broke out from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, 
and they had to thrust him out of the temple because immediately when that happened, you know what he did? He defiled the temple. And he died because his pride got lifted up because of his position. Uh, pride is Nebuchadnezzar. We heard it this week. Pride is Nebuchadnezzar walking out in his veranda, his balcony, and possibly looking at the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And he walks out and he says something like this, look what I've done. And God said, what you've done? What you've done? Come on, what you've done? We know from Scripture, God put him there. God sets people up, he takes people down. So Nebuchadnezzar comes up and he says, look what I've done. And of course, we know the rest of the story. He, for seven years, out eating grass like an animal. Uh, pride is Captain James Cook in the 1700s who's credited to uh, discover the Hawaiian Islands. I'm sure people have seen it before he did, but uh, he's credited for that. And when he arrived, they thought he was a god. And it wasn't just a few months later, the people who thought he was deity, they killed him. So it was a... It was an up and a down situation. Pride is uh, Nikolai Ceausescu, who is uh, one of the crudest leaders of the 20th century. And he instructed the uh, National Opera to produce a song in his honor, and he wanted these words included in the song. Ceausescu is good, righteous, and holy. Now, this is true. He wanted the song, they would sing to the nation that I am good, righteous, and holy. And he wanted the song to be sung at his 72nd birthday on January the 26th, 1990. Instead, he and his wife were executed a month before the song was sung. You know, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, why, why should we address this? Because everyone is susceptible to pride. Even if you are the cherub covering the throne of God, you can be susceptible to pride, right? And so if God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, why would I ever want to get in that position for God to push me away? I need to draw close. I don't need to be away from God. I need to be closer to God. Here's the second thing. The second thing that I have to watch in the blindness or the areas that maybe be something I can't see in myself or maybe other people is self-righteousness, self-righteousness. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Most of you know that. It's the one who is confident in his own righteousness and he looks down on everyone else. And Jesus told the parable, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, a publican, not a Republican, but a publican. And he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, beat his breast, said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I have to watch that I don't become self-righteous. Now, listen, none of us have any righteousness. The only righteousness we have is imputed and imparted by faith. Because the Bible's pretty clear that my righteousness is what? Filthy rags. So I have to take his righteousness and apply to my life because I have no righteousness at all. But because of pride and position and sometimes other things, we, we do that. Here's the third thing. The third thing that we have to watch that could blind us 
is riches and materialism. I always liked the story about the pastor who got a call for, he thought, a better position, a better church. And they were going to offer him about three times the amount of money that he was going to get where he was pastoring. So he goes to his wife and he says, honey, go pack the bags and I'll pray should we go. <laughs> because sometimes those things can blind us. And Luke 18, 18 through 23, it's the uh, account of the rich young ruler, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, I'll honor your father and mother, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus heard this and he said, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he was very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, there's nothing wrong with riches, there's nothing wrong with money, money's amoral, it's neither good or bad, just depends how you use it. If you don't like it, give it to me. But it's just how we use it is the deal. It's how we relate to it. Obviously, we, we, we like stuff. We want stuff. We just don't want them to have us. So we, we have to keep that in mind. Years ago, Barna did a report, and most of you uh, probably have seen this. The less money people made a year said that they were more in tune to God and his kingdom and relating to him and the higher the monetary amount went, the less people believed and trusted God. Now, I think this may be why, and I'm not an expert, because the more that we're dependent upon God, the more we need Him. And the more we feel self-sufficient, sometimes the less we feel like we need Him. But how many of you know, whether we're rich, poor, or in between, everybody needs God. So our trust is not in riches or materialism. Our trust has to be in God. So we don't want that to blind us from the things that are real in our life. The fourth thing is self-will. I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. I'll do what I want, and I'll do it when I want it, and that can really cloud our vision and darken our light. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, verses 18 through 19, is the story of Saul when the Lord sent him on a mission. And it was said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. And then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? We know that Samuel said, if you did what God said do, why do I hear the sheep? in the background of what's this king doing here next to me. And uh, let me just give a side note. You do know what Samuel did to the king, right? It's pretty graphic. And then the next time you see Samuel, he showed up at Bethlehem. And the leader said, what are you doing here? Well, you just got to get that. If you just carve somebody up and then he comes to your town, hey, what, what, what are you doing here? So anyway, Samuel says, you didn't obey the Lord. You didn't do what God said. But Saul wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he began to try to justify what he did. And I think sometimes all of us are a little bit guilty of that, including myself, trying to justify some of the things that I do. And so it can be a blinding thing, bringing darkness, where we have to be 
people of light. Can I hear an amen? amen? Here's the fifth thing. The fifth thing is prejudice. Now, we're hearing this all the time on the news and the media, and sometimes I think it's uh, overwrought, but that, that's just me. In Luke 7, verse 36 through 39, Jesus is anointed by a woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The woman at that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar box of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So something has happened in this woman's life. If you're still in the same condition prior to, you, you're not going to do what she did. Something has happened in her life. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, I want you to note something here. She was a sinner, but they saw her as a sinner. I mean, you know, we were all sinners, but because of Jesus Christ in our life and accepting him by faith and, and living the life, our life has changed. And, and this is what has happened to me, and I know it's happened to you. Does, does anybody relate to you B.C., and you're not the same person you were B.C.? Uh, let me tell you a story. Um, I, I've shared this with you before. When I was in college, I was a, I was a heathen. I mean, I was a card-carrying heathen. And then when I got converted, then the people I used to run with with college tried to come back and relate to me the same way that they knew me before. And they would say, I met one at a ball game one time, and they said, okay, Mike, after the, the, the ball game, uh, let's go out and do this, this, and this. And that wasn't uncommon because we'd done it many, many times. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't go with you because I don't do that anymore. Well, the next time I see them, they say, okay, let's go do this, this, and this. And I said, I'm sorry, um, I don't do that anymore. And then the next time I see them, it's like they're not hearing anything that I've said. Well, let's go do this. And, you know, I told them, I said, hey, Carrie and I, we've given our life to Christ. We're going to church, we're trying to live a good life. And it's like, Really? But then they come back and say the same thing. And so when I, about third or fourth time, I said, listen, we can't do that anymore. And you know what they said? You're still going to church. I hadn't you got over that yet? Is this a phase you're going through? But how many of you know people don't understand that when you give your life to Christ, they're blinded to what has happened in your life. So we're trying to share the, the light of God with them. And they see us still as they saw us before. And they don't see us in the light that we should be seen in now. Now, if we'd been around them all the time, they would see the change. But one of the things we have to be is obviously aware that prejudice can really factor in and play a part in our lives. It, it could be racial. It could be uh, uh, different ethnic uh, things. It, it could be... Um, it, it could be like uh, we find in the Bible, letting someone sit in the good seat. Right? Has anyone come to your church, and this has happened to me, and they expected preferential treatment? Now, 
I, I pastor a lot of different people in the church. I, I pastor the, the mayor of the city. I pastor the, uh, uh, the, the city manager, the district attorney, a lot of doctors and lawyers and different ones. But I've had a few people come in and they wanted me to give them preferential treatment. Now, I'm going to treat them as well as I know to treat them. But here's the deal. I'm going to treat everybody as well as I know how to treat them. But the Bible says if you say, well, get out of this chair and let this person come up and sit in this chair because they have a greater status or position or money, and the Bible doesn't say that's a problem. The Bible says that's a sin. It's not just a problem. It's a sin. So we have to be careful that we don't do that. Question, why did the Levite and the priest pass by on the other side of the road? Could it be, and listen carefully, could it be their position caused them to disconnect to the person? Their position caused them to disconnect to the person. But how many of you know Jesus values every person? And he died for everyone so I have to be careful that I don't get into that mindset. Here's the sixth one. The sixth thing that could not only blind us, but we have to realize when we talk to other people trying to share the light with them, that we're overcoming some of these same things in their life, and we have to be very wise how we deal with them. The sixth thing is worldliness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 9 and 10. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. So what happened to Demas? Demas got wrapped up. I would rather have the things of the world, Paul said, instead of be involved in the ministry with me. So here, Paul feels like he's abandoned, and he feels like he's abandoned through Demas seeking worldliness over himself in ministry. Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It, isn't it odd that worldliness is the very thing that the devil used on Jesus? Here's all the kingdoms of the world. It's almost like in a moment of time, all these kingdoms and governments that has been on the earth. He said, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all of these worldly kingdoms. How many of you know the kingdom of Christ is greater than all the worldly kingdoms? And eventually, all the worldly kingdoms will come under the kingdom of Christ. He will take a rod and smite the nations. So the only kingdom, and it was said already this week, that will stand... The only kingdom will, that will continue is the kingdom of Christ, for he's king of kings and lord of lords. So why would we choose the worldly things when we know they're only temporary? But if our eyes are blinded and we think this is all there is, do you remember the song back in the 60s? And some of you will. If that's all there is, let's just keep on dancing. But how many of you know that's not all there is? So we have to be careful that we don't get locked into that thing. And here's the last one, number seven. It's our carnal nature and the appetites that attach to that. Our carnal nature and the appetites that attach to that. 
Carrie and I went grocery shopping together. We don't always do that, but sometimes we do. And so we're in Walmart, and we're going down the aisles. And we're in the cookie aisle. I love the cookie aisle. How many of you have ever eaten golden Oreos? It's like manna from heaven. <laughs> so we go by, and here's the golden Oreos. And so I reach over, and I get this large packet of golden Oreos, and I put it in our cart. And Carrie looks at me, and she said, do you think we really need those? I said, yes, we do. <laughs> and she said, do you think that we need that big of a package? That's family size. I said, honey, we are a family. <laughs> Just two of them. I said, we are a family. And she relented, and I got the big box of golden Oreos. But this is what I know about me. I have certain appetites that I have to bring under control. They're not just eating appetites. They're sexual appetites. There are attitude appetites. There's a lot of appetites that are in you. Now, I realize that you are converted, but you've got to bring your body under subjection. And I have to bring my body under subjection. And that's why it was mentioned also this week in Romans 7. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, I do. Who shall deliver me from this? And what's Paul saying? I have a carnal nature that I have to deal with. And the answer's in the next chapter. I've got to walk in the Spirit or I will give in to those carnal appetites. And if Paul had to do, deal with it, how many of you know you've got to deal with it? I've got to deal with it. All of us have to deal with that. So we have to be careful that we don't give in to those carnal appetites. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14, make effort, every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau for who sold a single meal and he sold his inheritance and rights to the, uh, of the oldest a son. Afterward, as you know, he, he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected. Even though he saw it with tears, he could not change what was done. Um, let, let me read an article to you. I, I actually brought it. Do you know who Gordon McDonald is? Gordon McDonald was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He is an author. He wrote many books. He's admired and, uh, and been around the world preaching the gospel in the, Christ, the Christian community. Um, in, in his life, he, he was very prominent, very well respected. And in his book, Rebuilding Your Broken World, he shared this experience which took place several years before he had an adulterous relationship. And while he was on campus to speak at a college commencement, he struck up a conversation with a school board member. After some pleasantries and, and, and visits with the, the new acquaintances there, this is what was asked. If Satan were to blow you out of the water, how do you think he would do it to you? I'm not sure I know this, uh, said McDonald. All sorts of ways, I suppose. But I know there's one thing he wouldn't get me with. What's that? 
He would never get me in the area of my personal relationships. That's one place where I have no doubt I'm as strong as you can get, answered McDonald. But how many of you know Satan is wise and he is powerful? And that's why Paul wrote, if any man thinks he stands, let him take heed that he does not fall. And the very thing that Gordon McDonald said he was the strongest in is the very thing he fell in. You know, that behooves us. We got to watch that the blind side doesn't hit us. Many of you have heard this, and let me end on this. The Eskimos said they had a way of uh, killing wolves in the Arctic. They would take a knife and they would dip it in blood and keep dipping it in blood in that frozen environment until there was a thick layer of frozen blood on the knife. And they would take the handle of the knife and they would slam it down into the snow and the ice. And when the wolf came along, he would smell the blood and he would begin to lick the blood. And he would lick the blood and lick the blood until he licked it down to the point and the edge of the knife. But at this point, he is so engrossed in feeding and licking on the blood, he doesn't realize after a period of time, the blood he is ingesting is his own blood. And sometimes the enemy sets a trap for you and he sets a trap for me. And sometimes we fall into that trap. So I think it behooves all of us, let's stay in the light so we can share the light and let's watch the darkness that always wants to invade us. But instead, let's take the light to dispel the darkness so God can use us in a tremendous, tremendous way. God bless you.